does that on purpose. <laughs> Isn't it fun? Isn't it fun to live in a technological age, count on the technology, and sometimes it just doesn't work. But they'll get it going. I appreciate Josh, appreciate the work he does and others who help work with him in keeping us up and going. Well, maybe he'll be able to get it up and going here before we get done. If not, you just look at me instead. Oh, look, now you got something to look at. You know, several years ago, a fellow came in the office and sat down, and he had been in our services a while, and he said, I've just, we talked about a lot of things, and then he said, I've got one more question. He said, what's with all this stand up and sit down business? And I said, haven't you found that in the Bible somewhere, the stand up, sit down? And Jesus went up and sat down, and everybody else stood up. Maybe we should do it that way. No, let's don't practice that. But I, he said, what's with all that? I, he said, I don't really care for that. I said, oh, it's just habits and traditions and things we, we do. And I said, the main reason we stand up on the song right before the sermon is to make sure the preacher's awake. That's the whole reason, you know. And it makes it easy for me to get up and come in here and not, you don't have to watch me groaning and complaining. This is a good day. It's been a challenging week. These weeks are challenging in a lot of ways, but uh, this, is, this is a good day. And I think we look forward to good times ahead, and I believe they are there. I believe they will be there. I believe they are there. They're in the hands of God. I count on that every day, and I believe it. I hope you do too. Today, we want to talk about promises and the resolve that we have in our lives. I just call it promises and resolves. Not a very good title in a way, but it, it gets in my mind, so you can disregard the title. But we really want to talk about promises. And what promises do you you listen to and what promises do you follow? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 in a familiar passage, and it's, which is actually the third, as Matthew lists them, the third temptation, we call it, of Jesus. The third temptation in that chapter of the direct temptations of the devil that Jesus that are recorded there for us. And it begins in verse 8 by saying, again, again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, the devil to Jesus, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Promises. And the resolve of Jesus. Promises made to him, but the resolve of Jesus. You know, there's something, when you think about that, there's something to be said for that stubborn bulldog resolve that is just kind of unyielding. That stubborn mentality, you know what I mean? And, and I've seen depictions that they talk about the differences in types of dogs, and many of you here are dog lovers and so forth. We have a horse in our house, but uh, there are, many of you are dog lovers. You know what I mean? There is a tendency of the bulldog to, to come and just grab hold and not let go. There are other dogs that they'll run around, they'll try to get behind you, bite you from behind, just nip here and there and nip here and there and nip here and there. And all, there's some in our neighborhood that were after Jasper and me the other morning when we were out for our walk and all, but he protected me. I want you to know. He protected me from that little yapping dog that was that trying to bite us. But some, they're that way, and there are differences. You understand what I mean? In fact, I was, I was reading a book just the other day, and it's one of those Western novels that talked about a certain guy getting into a fight. And as, as the fight progressed, he just kept coming forward. And the fellow just kept 
raining blows on him, but he just kept coming forward, absorbing the blows and kept coming forward. And finally, he just picked up the guy that was hammering on him and tossed him out of the way. Sometimes that's the only way to approach something. That's not always the best. You can get a lot of abuse that way. Some of you are old enough to remember the phrase rope-a-dope with Muhammad Ali. Maybe you watched that fight and so forth. Uh, It worked for him on that occasion. But sometimes that stubborn mentality can be a negative, but quite often it can be something very valuable. Take, for example, if you want to go to a Bible example, take, for example... Uh, in the positive character of Daniel, take him for, an exist, for, uh, for instance. That guy wouldn't put his prayer life on hold, his outward showable prayer life on hold, even for a threat of his own life. Now, he could have done so. He could have done it privately. He could have hidden it. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with preserving your life. There's nothing wrong with that at all. No one even need, needed to do what he was doing. I know some of you, have prayed a lot when you're driving a car, haven't you? I hope you didn't close your eyes while you're doing it and bow your head. I hope you didn't get out on your knees while you're doing it. It might have been good to get out of the car first before you did that. You know what I mean. A lot of prayers are said with eyes open and other things going on. We do that. Nothing wrong with that. There are times to concentrate and bow our heads and get out of prayer. Daniel felt like it was important enough in his life he was not going to change from what he was doing. Even though he could have done it without others knowing it, even he could have hesitated for a while. He could have said, Lord, I'll begin to pray again at the end of 30 days. He could have done that. We wouldn't have thought a whole lot less of him, but don't we think about him. He had kind of that bulldog mentality. Even as he was being watched and judged and closed into a den of vicious lions, he was unyielding in that bulldog mentality in his trust and his holding to God. Now, there is discretion to be used in this, and it's not, he is not advocating that we all jump into a den of lions. That's not the point. I'm not advocating that either. But to hold on to what we believe, to know who makes the promises, and to keep those. It is my personal belief and observation that a certain kind of bulldog mentality is one of the more needed and missing qualities of our time. Not just in our society, but even in the church. In our present age, there are a lot of things that tend to rise above and make promises to us. If you think about it, money, popularity, business, uh, social interaction, and other perceived benefits are tempters to working to undermine the stability and the character of our loyalty, and especially the character of our loyalty to the Lord. In our time, these seem to be doing an effective job of dismantling so many objective, determined concepts that I think we would do well to hang on to, be loyal to. I can't help but think of Jesus' question in John 6. When so many people were disturbed by what he had to say, that they walked away from Jesus. And then as he turns to his disciples, what about you? Will you also go away is his question. As I've said before, I think that's probably one of the toughest questions he ever asked. And it must have cut deeply into those close disciples. 
No one wants to be faced with that question. No one wants to have their loyalty questioned. No one wants to be perceived as one who is a coward in the face of opposition or has given way to what they perceive to be a better promise. I think one of the most sad statements in all the writings of the Apostle Paul is found in the the fourth chapter and the tenth verse of 2 Timothy when he says of his companion Demas, he has left me having loved this present world. I don't know what all was going on in the mind of Demas, whether he was just trying to save his own life or there were other things pulling at him. But I do recognize he was hearkening to another cry. So let's think about that for a moment, if we could, if you'd share with me, and we think about that in this regard. Think about the promises that are made. Think about the ideas that are presented to us. Think about the things that are put before us. There is a message, has been a popular message for several decades now, and it is the message that says you can have it all. We used to say have your cake and eat it too, but this is even bigger. You can have it all. We have been sold in our time, in our world, in our society. We've been sold on the belief that we can have everything we want. We should have everything we want. We deserve to have everything we want. Back in the 1980s, a friend came to me as we were visiting. I say came to me. We were visiting and he came across to me with a statement. And he was talking to me about finances. He was an accountant. Not to say anything about accountants. But uh, I I hope that was positive, not negative. Anyway, uh, he told me that his, his perspective in finances was always pay you, pay yourself first. Well, I keep thinking, and he, he mentioned to me, I kept thinking, well, I'm not sure that gets all the bills paid, you know, because I usually want more than what I've got. If I pay myself first, there's not going to be any food on the table. That may be an exaggeration, and that may be a little more than what he had in mind. But I keep thinking about, and he brought to me the, the statement that is made by Elijah in 1 Kings 17 when he came across that widow in Zarephath. And he went to her, and she was out picking up sticks to make what she perceived to be the last meal for herself and her son. And he says, make me a little cake first. In other words, go back, take what you've got, and make something for me to eat first. Do you ever think about what it took for that woman to go and do that? I don't think that's what Elijah was talking about. He wasn't talking about the same thing my friend was. Biblically speaking, we can look at the idea of paying ourselves first and find it is not a biblical principle. In fact, as Paul writes about giving and contribution as we we do it, he says to lay by and store at the first of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. I don't know that he was talking specifically about the manner in which we do it. I think we do a good thing in that. But he meant lay aside first at the beginning of the week. Did you ever think about that? Before you get paid, lay by what you've got at the beginning of the week not knowing yet what the week's going to bring forward to you. It took me a while to come to that conclusion in what he had to say there. I don't think he was talking about make sure you do that on the first week. I was saying even before you you feel like you have benefited, lay by in store, set aside for the Lord what you can. I thought, you know, that makes it in my book a more powerful thought and a greater level of faith. 
because throughout the Old Testament, beginning in Exodus especially, we see it, the first part always belonged to God. The first part in the family, the first part of the flock, the first part of the harvest always belonged to God. Pentecost was a celebration of first fruits, bringing in the sacrifice of the first things that you would have. And isn't that interesting that it was on Pentecost that we see the beginning of the preaching of the apostles and the gospel of the resurrected Lord. Wow. First fruits. Well, getting back to this message, if I could of you can have it all. Think back to the 1970s. Okay, I know some of you can't go that far. But there was a message in the 1970s to women in particular, especially to women. It was that they could have, they could have the career, they could have the family, and they could have the the luxurious personal time without making any sacrifices at all. Later, it was applied to men. It was considered before that that men already had that. But after that, they began to say, no, wait a minute, men, we, we, we've overlooked the struggles of men, and so we need to put that. So the message was there. You can have everything. You can have the best. You can have the perfect family. You can have the wealth. You can have the job. You can have the comforts. You can have the travel. You can have whatever your heart really, really needs and desires without any sacrifice. What a lie. What a lie. Why would we believe such a lie? People, you don't eat the corn without first plowing and planting. That's just the way it is. So why would we believe a promise that way? Why would we believe such a lie? Well, it's presented to us again and again and again. Advertising presents to us people who are probably younger than most of us living luxurious lives. Where did they get all that time? Where did they get the ability to do that? I wonder about that quite often. Well, I think it, if we are honest, we look back and we recognize the old adage. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Is the promisor truly honest? Is the promisor as invested as you are being called to be in accepting that promise? I've got an idea that the promisor is not about to pay your bills for you. I'm not here to teach you about economics, but I keep thinking about it, and this week when I was thinking about this and whose promises you accept, we've heard the phrase Ponzi schemes quite often, and there have been a lot of them through the years and some of great magnitude. Do you realize that in the 1920s, Charles Ponzi, after whom this kind of idea began to be named, Charles Ponzi raked in in the 1920s in a course of 18 months, over $15 million. One of the records said over $20 million, which in today's dollars would be over $250 million in a year and a half. Wow. Jealous, aren't you? <laughs> but it just doesn't last, and you don't tend to get away with it. He did so by promising outrageous uh, short-term profits and so forth, and you can look at that, and he was just shuffling money, paying, paying a some with what he was bringing in on the front side, immediately paying on the back side, and paying small amounts of that along the way. 
promises that cannot be fulfilled. He promised people, I'll give you 50 to 100% return in short term. Doesn't work. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Well, the devil is making a promise to Jesus. In these three, in Matthew's three temptations that are listed here, in only one of them does the devil make a promise. He doesn't say he will turn the stones into bread for Jesus and feed him. He doesn't say that he will bear him up if he casts himself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Only in this one, if you will bow and worship and serve me, you'll bow and worship and serve me, then I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. They'll be at your feet. That's the only one in which he makes a promise to Jesus. But could he keep the promise? Jesus called him the ruler of the world. John 12, John 14, John 16, at least three times. Jesus called him the ruler of this world. And that sounds pretty powerful, doesn't it? There are people that long to be in power. We've got a whole city dedicated to being filled with power and invested with power. Across the world, we've got countries where people fight to be in that position to be in power. There are those who would long to be in charge of the world. But could the devil keep the promise? Even if he could in some sense of the word, we need to remember the world is temporary. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, down about verse 10 and following. He writes in 2 Peter 3, since all these things will be dissolved, the world is temporary, since all these things will be burned up, gone. He asks the question, what manner of people ought we to be in all faith and, and in anticipation of the Lord? See, remember, the world is temporary. That this that this point that the devil is making, that this promise that he is making would be a temptation to Jesus tells us that there is something of a reality tied to it. It's like that, that fellow at the fairgrounds standing there with his steak knives telling you that they were the sharpest things in the world and slicing off a tomato so thin that you can see through it. Tells you it can be done, but for how long? And can you do it at home without taking off your thumb? Promises, promises. This would tempt Jesus. It is a reality. Jesus knows it. And he knows what the devil is saying. Maybe we need to think on that sometimes when drawn by promises around us. So let's think then, and we, we apply it to ourselves, pro our promises and resolve, the things that are promised to us, and what about our resolve? Because I believe we truly value promises. We, when somebody makes a promise, we value it. We count on it. We, we lean upon that promise. When somebody signs their name to a contract, we believe they are promising what they will do or what they will pay. Whenever a guarantee is handed to you, you believe that the company or whatever behind the guarantee will do what they say in that guarantee. When you get a warranty, you want to believe that whatever is needed will be taken care of. 
And it's not just adults. It's not just in these adult-type things that it takes place. Children learn it quickly when they're young from their parents and from their friends. And you think about the crossed fingers and the crossed hearts and so forth. And perhaps never larger or never more than when two people speak to one another with wedding, wedding vows. We see long-term commitments of many kinds. People sign papers, I'll pay the payments until it's done. And the wedding vows, and the promises of parents to their children, and so forth. But you know, there are a lot of things. There are things that affect a promise, aren't there? I think we often take promises and we take them we take them perhaps on the ground that they're given with certain limitations and and there are things that affect a promise and and you look at this example of of the devil and Jesus and there are certain things affecting this promise because you look and you see who is it that's making this promise it's the devil he's a liar but he's making a promise and we look at it and we see does the one have the power to keep the promise Can the devil do what he says he's going to do? That's got to be a question of mine. That's going to affect the promise and whether we're going to agree with it or accept the promise, if you will. And what's going to be involved in the ongoing relationship to maintain, to keep this promise, to hold on to this promise? And so with that thought in mind, what can we see in this event? It's just one of those temptations. We can see the example of Jesus overcoming another temptation of the devil. We might look and see in 1 John chapter 2, this one would be the pride of life, I guess. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life. We'd say this is the pride of life. It would appeal to someone who, who wants to control, wants to be a king, wants to lead people. It would be an appealing thing. We can see the example of Jesus overcoming one of those three there temptations of the devil. We can see that, and it's a great story, and it's a great example if we get nothing more than that out of it. But we can also learn the value of the tempting promise and how to deal with it because there are things we should know. There are things that we should know when we're dealing with what promises are coming our way, wherever they're coming from. We should know. We should know who it is that is promising and what exactly is being promised to us in other words read the fine print what does it really say what limitations or boundaries are found in it and who is it is this someone we can trust is this someone we would count on several years back when we had one of those storms that broke a lot of branches and trees, not as much as we've had just recently, but a lot of branches were broken in trees. There were a lot of fellows running around ready to trim trees. A fellow came to my door, and I answered the door, and he said, hey, he said, I've got some guys, and I'd be glad to go up and cut branches out of your tree and all, and trim it up and make it look good and get those broken ones out of there. I said, okay, how much are you going to charge? And he said, I think I could do it for $70. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I don't want to climb the tree for $70. I don't bounce like I used to. And I said, you would do that for $70? Ho said, yeah, we'll trim it up, make it look really good and everything. I said, have you got harnesses? Oh, we don't need them. I said, have you got any insurance? No, I don't need it. I said, just come and we'll do that. And I said, I don't think so. 
Remember, if a thing sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I don't want somebody falling out of my tree onto my house or into my yard, laying there half dead, and I'm going to have to drag him across the street and pretend that he fell over there. (laughs) I just wondered if you were still listening. (laughs) He may have been honest. He may have done a good job. I don't know, but it did not sound exactly right. I didn't know him, and so I did not count on him to do that. You know what I'm talking about. That may not be the best example, but you know what I'm talking about. The second thing we need to know is, can this promisor, can he fulfill the promise? That ties into that one, doesn't it? If we don't know him, we don't know that. But if we know him, do we know that this person can do as as promised? Yeah. Can they? And will they? Thirdly, we need to look at the promise itself. Is it honorable in its nature? And what is the cost involved and the promise that's being made? In other words, what is it going to call on me to be and do? We need to ask that question, don't we? What does it ask of us? And then one more. What is it going to do about our character? What is it going to say about us if we accept that promise and live that promise? promises. We hear them a lot. We hear them on advertising all the time. You know, I like the commercial that says, can you prove it? I mean, can you promise it? No, we'll prove it. Well, I like proof. Don't you? In one of my favorite movies, there's George Bailey. You may know. You know the scene, maybe. I hope you watch that every Christmas Eve right along with it. You can come to my house and watch it if you want to. What did George Bailey say? What is it you want, Mary? What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word, and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. Couldn't do it literally, could he? I know. That's romantic, and that's neat, and that's beautiful. I like it. Sappy and syrupy, it's good. But you can't do it. can't really do it, can you? Friends, we may, be, we may hear and be drawn by a lot of promises, a lot of advertising, a lot of such in our lives. Some of them will be good. Some of them will be valuable. I mean, I understand that. Even some of those I talked about in the beginning are a part of our lives, and we, we accept that. But we put them within their place. Some will be of real negative value, things that we should shun and be away from. We must learn to be discerning. We must learn to be selective. But there is a promise that we can know that has the value and can be kept. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, there was a question asked of Peter and the others. For the people that were listening to the apostles on that occasion said, now when they heard this in verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise 
is to you and your children and those or them who are afar off or all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You may hear a lot of promises, and some of them will be kept, some of them will fail, and you're going you're gonna to be discerning about them. But as I said, there is one promise for sure you can count on, and it's this one. This morning we're going to sing, again, a song of encouragement. Let it be a song of invitation. Maybe someone needs to respond this morning. If you do, let this invitation be yours. If you need to respond today, let us assist you with that need, whether it is the prayers of the church, to be baptized into Christ, whatever it might be, let us help you at least begin that with that step this morning. If you need to come publicly, please do so while we stand and sing together.